The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Morning, church. How we doing? Happy Mother's Day, moms. Uh, those of you who mother in any sense of that word, um, we're really grateful for you. And everyone has a mother, which means that everyone has someone to honor today, uh, even if only by memory. So make sure you call your mama, okay? Um, we're really grateful for our mothers. Uh, we're in a series called The Dearest Place, and that's a line taken from a sermon preached by Charles Haddon Spurgeon in the 1800s. He's a Baptist preacher in London. And uh, he, he said it this way. He said, still imperfect as it is, the church is the dearest place on earth to us, meaning to those who've surrendered their lives to Jesus. Now, the last two weeks, we have looked at the, the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And, and one of the reasons we've done that is because in his prayers, we see the deficiencies that existed in some of those churches to which Paul was writing. Those churches are not unlike the church that we're part of or any church in our country or in the world that uh, all of our churches have deficiencies because all of our churches are made up of people and people are not perfect as it turns out. And so uh, we see the deficiencies in those churches, why Paul is praying for certain things to happen. But we also see in those prayers uh, the desires of the Lord. Paul is praying that the desires of the Lord would be fulfilled through those churches. And so uh, we've looked at so far the purpose of the church, that being the glory of God, that the church exists, right, as we exist, to glorify God, to make something of the beauty, the glory, the, the perfection of the God to which we serve. And, and then uh, last week, we looked at the power of or the power for the church, essentially um, that the Spirit of God dwells inside of each believer and empowers us together to grasp, to have power to grasp the width and the length and the height and the breadth of the love of God for us. And so today what I want to do is I want to turn our attention to the words of Jesus. And we're, we're going to focus on the words of Jesus as we look at the practice of the church. Now, when I say the practice of the church, I don't mean its activities. I don't mean, you know, the sitting and the standing and the singing and the listening to the sermons and, and, and that kind of thing. I mean more the culture of, of a church. Um, what is it supposed to feel like when you walk into uh, a church of true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? What's the atmosphere that is created when you participate and when you come into a church that is full of, of followers of Jesus? And so to do that, we're going to look at some of the last words of Jesus, and we'll find these in John chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to John chapter 13 with me. A couple of very simple verses, uh, and I'll have some very simple points, but I think we need this encouragement and this reminder this morning. So John chapter 13, if you have your Bible open, you can follow along as I, as I read. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen or there are uh, paperback Bibles there in front of you. The, the, these are the words of Jesus. Listen to this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also 
are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Um, Father, we come this morning grateful people, grateful to be your children by the blood of Jesus, grateful to be gathered together as the family of God, grateful for those women who you have called into our lives um, to mother us, whether they be biological mothers, adopted mothers, mothers through marriage um, or otherwise. Um, you have uniquely gifted these women in our lives to help shape and mold us and to speak truth into our lives and to care for us and to show us something of um, your love. And so we give great thanks to you for those women in our lives who, though imperfectly, have demonstrated to us uh, a, unique, a unique kind of love. May they be honored today by us. And Father, I ask now that as we look at this very familiar passage of Scripture, that you uh, would meet us here by your Spirit, that you would help us to understand, and not just to understand, but to take into ourselves, and um, that we wouldn't let familiarity breed contempt, but that you would speak n- fresh things to us through this same word, that you would give us a, a, a new, new eyes to see these, uh, these ancient truths, um, and that we wouldn't just hear the word of God, but that we would be doers of the word as well for your glory for the good of those who come in contact with our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help me now to rightly divide this word that it might be of benefit to your people and that we'd walk out um, with a deeper love for the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this all in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Um, Let me go ahead and give you my three points now, very simple points, very simple passage, uh, and then we'll kind of come back to them. So the three things I want you to kind of be aware of as we look here at this passage are the command of to love, the example of love, and then finally, uh, the promise of love, the command of love, the example of love, and then the promise of love. So look with me here at verse uh, 34 once again. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, let me give you some context here because uh, I hate kind of coming into a passage without uh, knowing where it sits in the text. Uh, This is the night before Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be um, unjustly tried. He's going to be beaten, um, wrongly convicted, and ultimately he's going to be crucified. He's going to die Uh, on a Roman execution stake. And he comes to share a final meal with his disciples, those 12 who um, so far have failed to recognize that the cross is before Jesus. Even though he has said multiple times, I'm going to die, I'm going to go to a cross, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again, they still just don't quite get it. And so they all gather in this upper room for this meal. And, uh, And Jesus meets them there, and they're all sitting kind of uh, lounging around the table, and, and they're, they're ready, except that there's a ritual that Jews do, which is to wash their hands and their feet, because they wore sandals, and they walked uh, on the dusty, dirty roads, and, and just encountered whatever was on those roads, and so they would wash their feet before dinner. But no one has taken that position of the servant in order to wash feet, and so Jesus comes into the room, God incarnate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he comes in, and he, he takes off his outer garment, 
And he wraps a towel around himself and he grabs a basin of water and he, he, he comes to each of those disciples and he begins to wash each of their feet. This lowly act of service. He even washes the feet of Judas who is about to betray him. They, they eat the meal and at the meal, Jesus reveals that one of those 12 is going to betray him. They're all wondering who it's going to be after the meal. Uh, Judas departs. He's going to go at this moment and betray Jesus for, for money. And Jesus, he speaks these words. He says, a new commandment I give to you. The you there is plural, meaning uh, he's not just speaking to each of those individual believers. He's speaking to all of them as a group. He's speaking even to us. A new commandment I give to you, to every one of us. This is his command. And he's speaking as our king. He says, it's a commandment. Right? Jesus is speaking with authority. He's speaking as the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. We have nothing to fear from this king. We have nothing to fear from the authority of this ruler because he is full of grace and truth. And, and so he, he comes and he speaks to us as our king. And, and, and the, the construction of the language here is, is emphatic in the original language, meaning he's saying this strongly with urgency, like this really matters to Jesus. He's not giving us a new option. He's not saying a new option that I give to you. He's not saying this, this is something I'm giving to you that I want you to sort of fit around your already busy and overscheduled lives. No, 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 no. This is the very thing Jesus wants us to build our lives around. Now think about this for a second. There are a lot of things that Jesus could have given us. This is the night before he died. There are a lot of things that Jesus could have said were most important. There are a lot of things that he could have said, hey, before I go, let me remind you of this. But this was the thing that was on his heart and mind. This was the, the pinnacle thing that was pressing on him in this moment. He said, I'm gonna leave you with some words and I want you to pay attention to this. Here's what I want you to do. Love one another. Now notice also, it's, it's a command, a new commandment I give to you, but it's also a gift I give to you, which is really encouraging to me because it reminds me that Jesus never commands us to do anything that he doesn't also empower us to do. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, okay, quick question. What kind of people need to be commanded to love one another? Probably people like us, right? Uh, think about our disciples for a minute. Um, a few of the disciples were so proud that they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Some of the disciples, um, you remember in, in the gospels, they were approached by some parents who were bringing their little children to Jesus and the disciples were like, Lord, should we turn them away? Because, you know, little kids can be a bother. And, and Jesus rebukes his disciples for being so rude. And he says, let the little children come unto me. Uh, there was a, a time when the disciples had been ministering with Jesus um, all night, and, and they got away for a little, a little bit of respite. Uh, and then they're in a boat, and this, this group of people are following them. So they're in the boat going from one place to the next, and this group follows them all around the edge of the lake and ends up meeting them at their destination, and they need things. 
And the disciples are so frustrated by this, right? Um, in one instance, they, they want, it's getting dark, Jesus is teaching them, and they need food. And the disciples are like, should we just send them away? They're, they're dismissive of these people. In just a few short hours from this very moment, all of the disciples are going to deny Jesus, reject Jesus, run away from Jesus, abandon Jesus. And yet he, he has to say to these people, love one another. Isn't that so often you and me? So proud, so rude, so dismissive, so unbelieving. Now here's the, here's the thing. Many people claim to know and follow Jesus. And some have really good theology. Um, they could pass a seminary level exam on theology. Some of them are very moral and upright. But according to Jesus, what makes the difference is not so much our theology or even our morality. What makes the difference is our love. Have you placed yourself under the gracious authority of King Jesus? He is speaking to us as our King. A new command I give to you that you love one another. If you haven't placed yourself under the authority of Jesus, why not? You can today. And if you haven't placed yourself under the gracious authority of King Jesus, you are still under some other authority. No one is completely free in this world. No one is completely autonomous. You are either under the authority of Christ or something else. And you will never change until we surrender ourselves until, to the lordship of Jesus. And when we do, when we wave the white flag over our lives and we surrender ourselves to the lordship of Christ, he gives us himself. And we slowly, over time, we, we wish we would move faster than we do, we slowly, over time, begin to change, begin to become more like him, begin to reflect a, a different kind of love. So I, I hope you see here the command to love. Now, this is not just any kind of love, however. Not just any old kind of love. Look again at the text with me. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Well, that's different. See, we might be... We, I want you to see here the example of love that Jesus lays out for us. He says it's a new command. And we might think, well, how is that new? Because we're familiar. If we know the Bible, uh, if we've been around church world for a while, we know that command, we're to love one another or to love others as ourselves. That command shows up around 1,400 years before Jesus. In the Old Testament, um, I think of places like Leviticus chapter 19, which, which instruct us to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love one another as we love ourselves. But see, Jesus, though he revered the law of Moses, he takes it further than Moses ever did. He ups the ante, in other words. He says, no, 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 don't just love others the way you love yourself. I want you to love others how I have loved you. So catch this. This is crazy. Jesus is setting himself up as the supreme example of love. He's saying, of all, the, of all the examples you could ever see in the entire world about love, I am the chief. In other words, Jesus is making himself the very definition of love. Love others, love one another as I have loved you. Okay, which means we have a choice to make. Either Jesus is crazy 
and an egomaniac. Or he is God who is love. Love one another as I have loved you. He's the supreme example of love. And if you can't tell which one of those you you actually think is true, is he crazy, egomaniac, or is he really uh, God in the flesh who is loved? Think about this for just a minute. What would happen if everyone in your life, including you, started loving one another the way Jesus has loved? Would it reek with the stench of hell or would it have the aroma of heaven? Now, there's a lot of love in the world. But it's, it's ordinary human love. And, and worse, uh, we live in a world that wants to define love on our own terms. To the point where love means everything and nothing all at the same time. We fall in love as though it's some sort of pit. And apparently we can fall out of it as well. Um, Be careful out there, (laughs) single folks. Um, we, 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 We come up with phrases like love wins and love is love, which sound really good on a bumper sticker, but actually don't do anything to make love more valuable. In fact, all they do, those sentiments, is cheapen what real love actually is. And if you you stand back and you look at popular culture and you observe how our culture defines love, generally what it has to do with is attributes in you that do something for me, which is not actually love of the other. It's using the other for love of self. I think the prophetess Tina Turner was right when she said, what's love got to do, got to do with it? (laughs) See, when Jesus showed up, he, he demonstrated a kind of love that the world had never seen before. Think, think about this. What prompted, what prompted Jesus to leave the glory of heaven to leave the intimacy that he shared with Father and Spirit and to take on human flesh and to come to this world to be despised and rejected by men? What prompted him to proclaim good news to the poor and to set captives free and to restore the sight of the blind and to heal the sick and to cast out demons from those who were oppressed? What allowed him to... to come upon this woman, this widow, in a funeral procession, and to see her tears, and to feel something for her, and to come to the casket of her son, and to place his hands on that little boy's body, and to say, get up, and to restore a child to his mother. What was it that that prompted him to see a man being lowered through the roof of a home, paralyzed from birth, and to say to that man, your sins are forgiven, and more than that, get up and walk. What motivated him to stay silent when he was falsely accused? To be patient when they whipped him all night long? 
What prompted him to, to endure the mocking and the shame of his own creation? To bear the crown of thorns as they shoved it onto his head, to endure the pain of the nails being driven through his hands and his feet. What motivated him to cry out from that cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What made him who knew no sin become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God? It's this. John tells us, loving his own, he loved them to the end. In fact, flip the page. Hopefully in your Bible, it's about one page away. In John 15, Jesus reiterates this commandment in, in John 15, verse 12. Look at what he says. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he, then he explains it. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. By the way, to be a servant was a very high honor in this culture. But he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. I have called you friends. Um, every single one of us has failed Jesus miserably this week. Some of us have clicked onto and looked at things that are awful. And we feel terrible about ourselves afterwards, and we feel the shame of it. And Jesus looks us in the eye and says, I call you my friends. Some of us have said things to one another that we can't take back, the toothpaste is out of the tube, and we have hurt and wounded other image bearers of God, people that we love dearly. And yet Jesus looks us back in the eye and he says, you are my friend. Some of you have been wounded by a friend, a neighbor, a spouse. You, you have been betrayed. You've, you've been hurt deeply. And you feel almost inhuman because of the way you were treated. And Jesus looks at you and says to you, that animal who did that to you, I'll take care of that, but I call you my friend. One, one um, Puritan theologian said, there is, there is more mercy in him than there is sin in us. Which means it's our, our failures move Jesus more to pity than to anger. So he, he, he says to us, bring it to me. That's why I died. For your sin, for your failure, for all of the guilt and the shame and all the things that you have done and that have been done to you, bring it to me. I call you friends. Have you received that kind of love? You see how different that is than the world, the love the world espouses? This is an otherworldly love that comes down from above. And it's a love that creates a new kind 
of community, a new kind of people. And so here, look with me at the last verse. You guys hang in with me so far? Look at verse 35. Let me get a sip of water real quick. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So now I want you to see the promise of love. How do we let the world know that we belong to Jesus? Is it our bumper stickers? Is it our t-shirts? Is it the crosses we wear around our necks? Is it our social media posts? Let's hope not. No, the best apologetic for Christianity is not an argument or a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. It's a community. It's a people. By this, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, we are called to love everyone, but loving each other, loving one another as followers of Jesus, as the church, actually demonstrates the new family that we belong to, uh, uh, that, that the identity that we're given. Um, uh, I, I don't know where I picked this up, but somewhere I heard this, this phrase, that we are, the church, is the model home of the new neighborhood that Jesus is building that will last forever. And, and in other words, it's a, it's a prophetic sign to the world of the coming kingdom that people can see and, and, and taste and smell and join right now while there's still time. And throughout the ages, Christians who have embraced the love of Jesus for themselves and who have been transformed by that love have demonstrated that kind of world, that kind of love to one another and to the world. Um, in, the, in the 200s, uh, there's a, a church father named Tert- Tertullian. He, he passed in the, two, in the late or uh, mid-200s. Um, but he's writing here about how the Roman pagans viewed Christians, okay? So he, he is describing the influence and impact that Christians had on the Roman world, okay? Now listen to what he says here. He says, it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. Now notice that. It made a difference, but the Romans actually saw it as weakness. They branded them. Oh, you, you Christians, the way you love, you because they saw that kind of love as weakness, not as strength. It's mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. Listen, listen. See, they say, how Christians love one another. For they themselves, the Romans, are animated by mutual hatred. How they are ready even to die for one another. For they themselves will sooner put to death. Thus had our Lord's saying become a fact. All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The love that these Christians had for one another was so unique and so distinct and different that the world took notice. But listen, the sad reality is that for many in the world in which we live, Christians have lost credibility as people who know how to love. And now we can say that we're Christians all we want. We can say we belong to Jesus all we want. But talk is cheap, isn't it? What the world needs to see is family resemblance. In fact, um, look again at the, at the verse. By this, all people, so that's believers or unbelievers, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Uh, uh, 
Francis Schaeffer pointed this out, that here Jesus is actually giving the world the right to judge us. Isn't that something? Jesus is giving the right to the world to judge for themselves based on how we love, whether or not they think we actually belong to Jesus. Now, he's not saying, let me just, let me just unpack this a minute. By the way we love one another, it should be evident to all that we belong to Jesus. So where we are cold or harsh or narrow or gossipy or critical or selfish or petty or unloving, he's not, he's not saying that you don't belong to Jesus. He's just saying the world will never know. <laughs> they will never know that we're Christians. You and I are called together to be a living proof to the reality of Jesus, not a living denial. But here's the problem. When the watching world sees the way Christians love or don't love one another, rather than concluding that we don't belong to Jesus, they conclude that Jesus is not worth belonging to. How awful. that based on the way we treat one another, the watching world looks and says, well, that Jesus must not be worth, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't make you any better. He doesn't change your hearts. He doesn't actually affect anything about the way you treat it. How could two people who claim a love in, uh, 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 that they belong to a Christ who has demonstrated his love for us so supremely, how could they be so petty with one another? How could they be so vile towards one another? How could they chastise? How could they criticize? How could they be so cold and indifferent to one another? This Jesus must not be worth following. How grievous. Now listen, I, I don't know what is going to become of the public witness of the other churches in our city or our nation but I know what Jesus wants to do here among us. Jesus wants to give us his love to such a degree that the watching world is compelled to say, Jesus must be there. It looks like Jesus is there. Now you might be thinking to yourself, ah, how on earth do we become that kind of people? And Jesus actually answers the question for us. Flip again with me back to chapter 15. Is this making sense? If maybe I, it feels like this is very ethereal. <laughs> You're like, just give me something to go home with, man. And I'm sorry, I have this. Um, thank you. Look at John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. What's the action step? Abide in my love. You know, last week we talked about the power of God's Spirit within us, individually and corporately, to grasp, right? The breadth, the height, the length, the depth of the love of Christ for us. And Jesus says, if you, if you want to be empowered to love like this, you just stay right here in my love. Just abide. See, he is the vine. 
We are the branches, which means this. We can't just try to copy or imitate Jesus' love. <laughs> That's, we, we connect to his vine so that his love flows freely through us. We become a rushing river of the love of God, not the Dead Sea. Any, any of you ever been to the Dead Sea? I haven't, okay, but I hear it's pretty cool. If you, if, I'm sure most of you know about the Dead Sea by now, right? Uh, it's a body of water which has received all kinds of minerals and is enriched in every way, but it has no outlet. And so it's so mineral rich that nothing can live in it. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. And, and you see, so many of us as Christians have received so much of the love of God, so much of his gifts, so much of his mercy and his grace to us, and we just, we just sort of damn it in. And it actually kills us because the love of God is meant to flow through us. He's the vine, we're the branches. And so as we connect to Jesus, the vine, the love of God flows through us and, and to others to the, to the degree that as we are grafted into the life and the love of Jesus Christ by faith, we receive his love, a love, by the way, that accepts us, but also corrects us. See, there's this misnomer in the world today that love means just acceptance and affirmation of everyone, just as they are, never to change them. And um, while that is an aspect of love, full acceptance for sure, but love corrects, love instructs, love rebukes, love challenges, because love wants more for you than what you have now. I could say more, but I'm going to get myself in trouble. So, as we are grafted into the life and love of Jesus. He corrects us, he encourages us, he admonishes us, and we become more like him, and he infuses us with this otherworldly power to love as he loved because it's actually us loving with his love. We are loving with the love of Jesus. We are not copying the love of Jesus, and those two things are very, very different. So what does that look like in action? Was it look, um, I didn't put this in the notes, um, but if you can, flip with me really quickly over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Of course, it's wedding season, and um, everybody likes this at their wedding. What does it look like to love with the love of Jesus in a community? Here's, here's what Paul says to the Corinthian church. So, um, even though we like this read at our weddings, this isn't about marriage. It's about the church. It's about the way we love one another. Look what he says. Love is patient, verse 4, and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I don't care how well you slept or didn't. Love does not, now I'm meddling, aren't I? Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, we love that passage because all of us want to be loved like that. 
it's so encouraging, but it's also indicting because none of us actually love like that. And do you notice how Paul has personified love here? Love hopes all things, love believes all things, love endures all things. It's because he is personifying love. He's speaking to us about Jesus, who is love in the flesh. And as we embrace Jesus' love for us, we become this kind of people who love like this. Um, I've told you this before, but um, a gospel culture, a culture, uh, a church culture should be made up of three things, um, more than three, but at least three, gospel, safety, and time. Here's what I mean, gospel, good news for bad people because everything wrong with us was put onto Jesus at the cross. So we need to come back to this gospel over and over and over again. Have you ever heard of anyone who has gotten too much gospel, too much good news? Has there ever been anyone on earth who's been too encouraged by the good news of Jesus Christ? No. So we come back to the gospel, the good news of the finished work of Jesus, over and over and over and over again. And our prayer and our hope is that every single week, both from the pulpit and the liturgy, the music, communion, all of it, that you're hearing the gospel, you're seeing the gospel rehearsed over and over and over again because we need it so desperately, so gospel. Safety. We need space to rethink our lives in light of the love and grace of Jesus. And so, back to 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. We need time. We, we, need, a, we need an environment where there's no criticism, where there's no um, condemnation. Safety. We need to rethink our lives. We, we can be honest with all of our faults and failures before Christ because we have nothing to fear in the face of our good God who loves us and has given himself for us. And then time. We are complicated people. And it takes a while to peel back all those layers of beliefs, wrong beliefs, broken ideologies, habits, right, um, that are not in keeping with what Christ has commanded. And so as we as we together experience the love of Jesus, as we abide in the love of Jesus, we are transformed by that love of Jesus and his love flows through us to one another so that we can create an environment with a lot of gospel, with safety, right? We give each other the space to work out the kinks in our lives by the grace of God and time time to deal with the Lord. No pressure from inside, no pressure from outside to be conformed. We let God do his work by his spirit through his word in each of our lives. Gospel plus safety plus time. And as we learn to love one another in that environment of gospel plus safety plus time, we actually experience and then demonstrate something of the kingdom of God to the world. And they look at the way we love one another and they go, Jesus must be here. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So as we wrap up, I'm, I'm going to throw a few questions up on the screen for us to consider, and then we'll move into our time of response through communion. Was that like two in the clouds? Help me? Okay. Thank you. I just, it feels, and maybe it's the nine o'clock crowd. <laughs> you guys are a little sleepy. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm just talking to the sky, and uh, thank you. I, it helps me. Uh, first question is this. And you can write these down as they come, take them to community group this week, whatever you need to do. But, uh, and, and this is where we can really be honest. How has my experience with Jesus' people been reflective or not reflective of what Jesus instructs 
the love that he instructs. Some of us um, have had great experiences with the church, with Christians. Some of us have had devastating experiences, walking with a lot of wounds and a lot of scars from Christian people or so-called Christian people who have hurt us. And, and listen, uh, there's some of you in this room that I've blown you up too, and, and we're working through it. And I, you know, we're, we're broken people. And so um, how has my experience with Jesus's people been reflective or not reflective of the love that he instructs? Secondly, what hinders me from walking in obedience to the love that Jesus commands? Like, it's not easy, right? Like, it's simple, but it ain't easy to walk in obedience, to love one another as Jesus has loved us, self-sacrificing love, putting, putting down my preferences and my priorities in order to prioritize the other. That's hard. What, what gets in the way? What hinders me from obeying his command to love one another as I have been loved by him? Third, how does seeing the way Jesus loved motivate me to stay connected to the vine? See, I, I see the way Jesus loved. I see the way that Jesus uh, laid down his rights. I see the way that Jesus made the other his priority. I see the way Jesus did not, um, did not assert himself but, but served others. And I go, I don't know if I can do that. And you can't without his help without his power, without his love flowing through you. So how does seeing the way Jesus loved, that supreme example of love, motivate me to stay connected, to, to be rooted in the vine uh, who is God so that I can actually see his love flow through me? And then last, what is my part in helping build a culture of Jesus-like love here? For those of you who call Missio Day your home, whether you are a covenant member or, or frequent attender, if you call this your spiritual family, God is calling all of us to participate in this, right? This is not a, um, the professional Christians like myself do the work and you just sit there and watch. This is what he's calling us as the body of Christ, as the church to be and to do. So what is, what is my part? What's your part in helping build a culture of Jesus-like love here so that the world may know that we belong to him. All right, um, you can take a picture of this screen if you want to, write them all down. We'll leave them up for just a few minutes. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna come to the communion tables for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, who have uh, repented of sin and trusted in his free grace. We're gonna come to these tables. There's uh, two tables, two stations, if you will, at each table. And so you can come uh, to either of those. Uh, maybe as we did last week, you did pretty good at this. We'll stay to the left of each row here so that people coming back to their seats can actually make their way down on the right side, and we'll just see if that works. But uh, there's gluten-free wafers, there's wine or juice, whatever your conscience allows, and this is a moment for us to come to these tables and be reminded once again of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus willingly laid down his life, that he loved us to the end. He loved us so much that it broke his body. He loved us so much that his blood was spilled for us. And, and we belong to Jesus and we have the opportunity to be connected to the vine because of the cross. And so we come in repentance, we come in trust, we come in thanksgiving to these tables um, and we take a piece of the bread and, the, and dip it into the juice or the wine um, as, a, uh, as a foretaste of that meal that we will share with him one day. 
in heaven. As you make your way back to your seats, there's black boxes uh, in the back there for offerings, connect cards, prayer requests. Um, You can put those there, and then the band's going to return and lead us in a couple of songs before we get out of here. Father, thank you uh, for these men and women. Thank you for an opportunity to, um, to hear about the supreme love of Jesus and your call on our lives as followers of Jesus to love one another as you have loved us. This is an impossible task in our own strength. And so we plead with you, Holy Spirit, to fill us with power, with strength, um, power and strength to abide, power and strength to stay connected to the vine so that the love of God flows through us to the world, to one another. Lord, help us to be a people who don't just find some encouragement or indictment from this message and then go on about our lives unchanged. Change us. Help us become more like Jesus in the way that we love so that the watching world might say, surely they belong to Jesus. Look at the way that they love. Help us to become that people for your glory and for the good of the world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And by the power of the Spirit, we ask. Amen.